Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, welcome back to the pod. Today, I want to talk about one of the most important investments that early stage entrepreneurs ought to be making, and that's investing in your tribe, getting yourself around people that are on the same journey. And I think a lot of people avoid it because it's not one you can just buy, right? You have to earn the respect of others, and that can take time, and it can be difficult to find people that are, quote, your people. And that's part of the reason I do this show. That's part of the reason we host events. And we're going to tell a story of someone finding their people on today's show. And hopefully it inspire some of you today to go out and build a support network that can help you get to your goals. So regular listeners of the show might remember Greg Gerber, who's a member of our community, the Dynamite Circle, gifted an up-and-coming entrepreneur an all-expenses-paid trip to our annual event, DCBKK. The idea of paying it forward in that way has taken off in our community and has been an amazingly positive source. So at our most recent event in Austin, Texas, Merrill Johnson, who's the founder of the Bean Ninjas, offered two free tickets on behalf of her company, and Ian and I put up two tickets as well, with other members chiming in with everything from airfares to free coaching free travel bags, and quite a lot more. So I thought it'd be fun here at the pod to speak with some of the recipients of those gifted tickets, because when I got to meet them, you know, each one of them had fascinating backstories, as you're going to hear. And and just a full disclosure up front, in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about the Dynamite Circle, and you can learn more about it at tropicalmba.com slash DC. Generally, we try to keep the podcast separate from that, we know not every listener wants to join a membership group, and, and of course, there's qualifications involved, but that's the direction this conversation went in. That's the story we're telling. So you understand why we can't just skim over it in the show. So today's story is an interview with... Jen Anderson. I have a bow tie company called My Tie, and we make bow ties from old Hawaiian shirts. Super limited edition. You only get... Two bow ties per shirt. That's cool. And how's the business doing? It is doing okay. It's tough from an operational perspective because we have to source the shirts. We get them from Goodwills. We have people in Hawaii go on shopping runs for us. There's a big operation around you know, cutting them up and, and sewing them. So trying to focus on that operational side and then continuing to just really focus on marketing and driving traffic to the website. I would say we're still very early days, but people love the product. I always get good feedback on the product. So it's just a matter of working out all this stuff and getting it out there, promoting it more. Now, while it's true to say that Jen's company, Mai Tai, is still in its infancy, she actually has a lot of professional experience in the startup world and like in places like Wall Street. So let me just give you a little bit of background. You know, like most of us, Jen didn't just start as an entrepreneur. There's an interesting professional background there. And 
let me get on my soapbox here a little bit. We glamorize sort of people who build businesses out of their dorm rooms. But for me, it's way more interesting talking to people that build businesses out of their careers. So just because you've had a job for 5, 10, 15, 20 years doesn't mean that you can't leverage all of that experience and know-how into your very first business. And I actually call that uh, exit velocity. Like if you have professional experience, that can often give you a lot higher exit velocity than somebody who has absolutely no experience at all. But let's get back to Jen's experience. So just as a background, she went to a prestigious school and got a job on Wall Street. So very ambitious, but didn't feel like that was a good fit. So she left to go do an MBA. It was at that time that she got interested in social entrepreneurship and spent time doing research in India. But to pay for that MBA, she took a job at Citibank in 2008, just as the financial collapse happened. So by a slightly circuitous route, she eventually made her way to San Francisco, startup Mecca, where she still lives with her husband, and young daughter. So it was at that time that generally got immersed in this world that so many of us just sort of read about on the internet. So she ultimately ended up at the peer-to-peer loan company, Lending Club. And at this point, I'll let Jen pick up the story. I don't know. I came out here. I love the startup culture. I love what's going on out here, but it is a lot of hype and it's different from what I expected. I'm not interested in like trying to build some financial services app that's going to, you claim is going to reach a billion people, but probably never will. And, you know, raise a ton of venture capital money and just being at these startups and seeing all the waste and all the bad ideas and the bad execution just kind of I guess turned me off a little bit. And I think around 2014 is when I started, I discovered you guys and a couple of other blogs and podcasts. And I was working at Lending Club and it wouldn't make sense to leave because we were, you know, about to go public. But I've just been listening, listening, listening for years and thinking about ideas. And at Lending Club is where I met my co-founder and in the midst of just making some changes, you know, moving a little bit further away from the city so that we could have more space for my daughter. Um, I realized, you know, I don't want to commute. I want to be able to kind of control my life a little bit more. I don't need a billion dollar company. I just need, you know, like they say in baseball, like a couple singles and doubles. And I want the challenge of building and growing a business and seeing if I can make this happen. And it's now or never. So that's kind of where I am today. One thing that I'm curious about, Jen, is I've never been to San Francisco. What? Yeah. How is that possible? Most of our listeners haven't been to San Francisco, but this is like the center of the world for so many of the products we use and so much of the culture we digest. What's it like there? I got here in, I think, 2011. It's changed a lot even since I've been here. I mean, now I live further outside the city. It's a crazy, crazy place. There's so much wealth. I was in the city yesterday and I was actually at a co-working space and I found a, a parking spot right out front and I was like, oh, sweet. How did I score this parking spot? And then there's just homeless people like all around this like super fancy co-working space that is 
where all these like eager startup people are working and sipping their lattes and there's some homeless guy shouting at me <laughs> as I'm parking my car and I remember going to parties and just people would talk about how much they fundraise and I was at a party one time and some guy was telling me his idea and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I just raised 20 million from, you know, this really high profile investor, but you know, I'm not going to tell you who it is, John Doerr. I used to network a lot with the venture capitalists back in the day and they all, they're very eloquent in what they say. Everybody sounds really good here. Everybody sounds really smart and intelligent and they are, they are. But then I've been in a couple of startups that are just like so poorly run. And even at this one that I was at, which was a success, I mean, on paper, at least, I mean, we IPO'd at the end of 2014, IPO'd at $15, stock went up to 25. Guess what it's trading at now? I think $3.65 and a bunch of scandals and mismanagement and people having to leave the company. I remember my company was working on a product. I was not involved in this product, but it was the highest priority for the year. And I remember saying to my boss, you guys are spending eight months building this thing and like 80 engineers. I'm like, this is crazy. I was like, we haven't tested this yet. Like we haven't done any like minimum viable product or seeing if there's really a market for this. Like, why are we like throwing everybody, all our, you know, hats into the ring for this? And he just looked at me and he said, oh, it'll work <laughs> because we had a fancy strategy team of, you know, ex fancy consultants that did an analysis and said it'll work. And now it's two years later and it's not working. <laughs> How did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur so young? What was like the touchstone that gave you even that idea? I think it's just my personality. Like I just, I admire and respect the hustle. I just like things that are new and different and going against the grain. And I tried to make myself more in line with the common man. I mean, like a investment banking, you can't get more, you know, in line with that. But I'm just not cut that way. I don't know. I just like, I'm a creative person. And I'm just drawn to to new ideas. And I'm drawn to like, I love hearing stories about people that kind of came from nothing and hustled and built an empire and all that stuff. You know, I grew up in a single parent family without a ton of resources and just want to be able to, I don't know, make my own destiny, right? I mean, you guys talk about it on your show all the time, right? You can sit in a cubicle being, you know, waiting around for somebody to like you and promote you. And, you know, you're kind of chained to that cubicle and what the person above you thinks about you and what hit the people above him think about you is everything, right? Versus just getting out there and focusing on pleasing customers instead of some boss. What was holding you back from making the switch sooner? I mean, I think just the way I was raised, my mother's very risk averse. And I think that just was ingrained in me at an early age. I mean, I remember like, when I was 27, she reported me kidnapped. Like, <laughs> one time I went to London, and she just like called all around, like with all the people that I was staying with, because she like hadn't heard from me for, for like a day. So yeah, it stems from that. I mean, my my father passed away when I was young. He was an accountant. That's a very conservative, good, you know, bread and butter profession. And, you know, I guess part of me always wanted to be like him. And so like, I even went to college thinking I wanted to be an accountant. And no offense to accountants and, you know, being ninjas got my <laughs> ticket to Austin. So <laughs> I love it. I love her. But I was like, Oh, my God, this is such a 
wrong profession for me for a creative person. But I think I just wanted to follow that path because that's all I knew, right? Yeah, it's just just kind of the only path I saw. How did your friends and family take the news when you told them that you were going to forgo your career, which was pretty impressive, to start doing a strange and small business? They think I'm crazy. I remember meeting with a friend from Citibank, a fellow colleague who had been through the same program as me, so had an MBA. I remember meeting up with him like a year or two ago and I, after I'd left my job and he's like, you left your job? Do you, do you have another one? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, that's why California is good for me at the end of the day because people around here aren't afraid to take risks and aren't afraid to fail and they just like know they'll figure it out and they'll, they'll work it out in the end. So yeah, everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I don't know. I, I think I've come to terms with it. I used to let it affect me, but now I'm just like, ugh, you know, it's my life, right? What risks do you feel like you're taking? So I do still have a network out here. And like, you know, yesterday I was having coffee with somebody and I have friends that are doing, seem to be doing well in, in startup land or even, you know, big company land in San Francisco. And especially going to a great business school, you have friends that are really climbing the corporate ladder and starting to get pretty senior at different places. And, you know, I get a little bit of FOMO about that. And then I'm like, oh, but I could probably hop back in. So it's that. It's like, if I needed to someday, could I hop back in? Like, what if I need a salary? You know, what about retirement? What about making sure my daughter can go to good schools? You know, what about all that stuff? Like, if this doesn't work out, like, how am I going to make ends meet? So yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different in my case, because I do have a husband that that has a salary. So I'm I'm so thankful for that. But like, I am a very ambitious person. So if I needed to hop back in, could I? Or, you know, is that a big risk? What are some things that you would tell startup Jen about the entrepreneurship path that maybe you didn't fully understand until you jumped in? I think I knew it'd be lonely, but, you know, it is. It is pretty isolating. You have to be really motivated to wake up early and get disciplined and get shit done. So there's that, which is why like having, you know, plug for the the dynamite circle, but like having that community could be a game changer for me. Like I'm just early in it, but even though I'm around a bunch of entrepreneurs out here, it's different. You know, they're all setting up offices in Soma, raising $20 million. So like, it's just different than, than what I'm trying to do. And there's not a lot of people like me around me. Because right now I am kind of a bit location dependent. Well, I get this up and running and have a child and a husband with a job. So yeah, so I think the loneliness and then the resources, like I've had to teach myself search engine optimization, Facebook marketing, all that stuff that I kind of never knew about before, which I love learning about. But like, it's kind of hard the first time when you try it and it doesn't like work you don't have like a marketing department that's going to do things for you. You have to do everything yourself, which again, I knew, but like, I guess I just assumed it would all work out of the gate <laughs> and, and it takes a lot more to, to get that stuff going. Do you have a profitable Facebook ads campaign? What happens when you try to increase the budget? Your return on investment drops dramatically, right? That's because scaling Facebook ads is the hardest part of the game but it's also the most profitable. Unfortunately, it's not as easy as just doubling your budget and watching your profits double. 
It's a lot of hard, strategic work, and frankly, it's a full-time job. Today's sponsor, Growth Ninja, is a performance-based Facebook ads agency that specializes in scaling campaigns, helping them go from $500 per day in spend to $5,000 per day while maintaining and improving your ROI. If you want to scale your campaigns dramatically while keeping your return on investment consistent and growing, go check out growthninja.com today and let them know the TMBA podcast sent you. Now, at this point in the show, I just want to jump in to give you a little bit of inside baseball about how Jen heard about these gifted tickets in the first place. Because I know this sometimes like this DC stuff and what we're doing with these events, there's so many of them, it's hard to keep track of. And it can just all be a little bit mysterious. And to further complicate the issue, we have minimum eligibility requirements. And it all can be sometimes a little bit much to sift through. Well, because Jen was on the mailing list at tropicalmba.com slash subscribe, the offer came across as clear as day. It's like if you have a business that you're focused on full-time, it doesn't have to have huge revenue. We want to bring you into the community and welcome you in. We're doing stuff like that more and more often as it's becoming a theme that those that have had some entrepreneurial success, one of their biggest motivators is to bring others along on the journey. And so do check out the mailing list to to make sure that you are notified of all the stuff that's going on behind the podcast. So again, that's tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. What's the tips for listeners that want to win these things? I just replied and told my story and what's your business? What do you think you could get out of DC, Austin? I had three things. I want to meet other entrepreneurs. I want to figure out some of my operational issues with this business and some of the marketing. And these are my challenges that I'm facing. And this is how I could benefit from going to DC Austin. So what was it like rocking up to the AT&T Center in Austin, Texas? Oh my God, it was amazing. I was so looking forward to the conference. I was nervous to meet you and, and Ian because like to me, I think I told you guys, like I probably scared you when I met you because to me, you know, I've been listening for years, right? So you guys are like pseudo celebrities to me. So <laughs> That's crazy. I love it. <laughs> that was the nervous part. And then I just didn't know who was going to be there. I didn't know what to expect at all. How would you describe who was there? I mean, when you go back and talk to your family about it or whatever, like, how do you describe these people that are on the other end of these podcasts? It was way more diverse than I thought because I wasn't a part of the community. So all I know is what I read in your emails and listen on the podcasts. I was expecting it to be like younger and more backpacker-y, which is totally fine. But like there were just some serious, serious business owners there, which was so cool. And there were people like me that choose to live in in the US that could be location independent, but they've kind of put down roots and they have massive businesses. And a lot of the conference was was focused on, okay, we started this a few years ago. Now people have some serious businesses. You know, how do we take it to the next level? How do you hire a remote team? How do you manage remotely? I was just blown away by that. I was blown away by all the different businesses, all the different people how diverse everybody was, how welcoming, and like, how many cool ideas were there. 
What was the thing that you got the most out of or the thing that you remember most fondly about the event? There were a lot of sessions where I learned things. I mean, I went to a session by, I'm forgetting his name, but the spy gear. Alan Walton. Yeah, yeah. He was really cool. And, you know, he went over, you know, what Shopify apps he's using and all sorts of e-commerce tricks and things like that. And I took a ton of notes. But for me, like that stuff, I can get as well by like reading and researching and talking to people. What was most amazing to me about the conference was just like finding my tribe for the first time, like being around all these people that are just like me. Right. Which I don't think I've really, I've really had before. What are those like traits, you know, that make those conversations so much fun? Like when I'm at these conferences, I'm always afterwards. I'm like that. I was just so much fun to talk to everybody. What are those things to you that makes those conversations so different? Yesterday, I was having coffee with someone who's my old boss, and he's like one of my mentors and such a good friend. And I was telling him about the conference, and I was telling him things like Amazon FBA are foreign to him. I mean, he has Amazon Prime, he orders things on Amazon all the time, but like he doesn't know what FBA means. Like, I had to like define it. And I don't think he realizes that there's, like you guys have said, there's people making generational wealth selling things on Amazon. He's in entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley and, and he just had no idea. It's just this whole like other world that people just don't realize, right? And then I'm there at the conference and in my mastermind, most of us were doing something in e-commerce. They speak my language and they like, they just get it, you know, like they're just talking about, oh yeah, I did this and I did that. And I, you know, hunted down this supplier in, in rural Mexico for my product that I'm going to be selling on Amazon. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. You know, and people that I know out here, like they don't get their hands dirty like that. <laughs> and I just love that. I love the hustle. Did you find it difficult to do the mastermind? People were telling me, like, people cry, scream. <laughs> and like, you all were saying it's going to be exhausting. And mine was great. You know, everybody was really nice. I mean, that's another thing I should add. I was afraid I wouldn't fit in at the conference. And I think I did. I would say I was talking to one person and he made some crack about like, if I had an MBA, I would never tell anybody in the dynamite circle. They'd just laugh you out of the room. So now I'm even nervous right now on your podcast to say that I have an MBA because I do feel like there will be some judgment. <laughs> you loser, you got an MBA from a top school. What's wrong with you? And I do, I feel like a loser in the circle a little bit, you know? My mastermind was really supportive of everybody. Nobody was crying or screaming, you know? I think we were helpful to each other. And maybe it's because we were all in the newer side of entrepreneurship. I've joined a, another mastermind through DC now. So I'm in a new, a new one. No way. Like an online one where you get on the phone. Yeah, yeah, where we do a Skype call. So we just had our first one this past week. And actually, someone from my DC mastermind is in it as well. So someone from the in-person uh, DC Austin. Yeah. So how did that work? How did that process work? You just wrote to the staff and said, hey, I want to get into a mastermind or? Yeah, some people at the conference that I met had told me that you could do that. So that was great. You know, as you're describing like, talking to people with these really big, important jobs, and they're part of these important startups. And I talked to a lot of those people too. For me, there's like something special and different about talking to someone who 
their like immediate interests are at stake in the conversation because that's their business. And like, like you said, like you did SEO and you screwed it up or whatever. It's like, yeah, like you screwed it up. Like you can't sit there and say you didn't screw it up. Like there's a kind of a reality to it or like a urgency to those conversations. That's different than like the sort of things you can get away with in a conversation where you're talking about more ephemeral things like status or an opportunity or. Yeah. And there's just no skin in the game. Like there is when you have your own business and I just have mad respect for people in the dynamite circle and exactly that. Like you feast or famine based on how real you can be. Yeah. How real you can be, what you're able to create, making something that people want. There's no fluffy, you know, cushion of venture capital money behind you and you're making it work. You're making it happen. So Jen, we're going to have to follow the story of my ties on the podcast. Now you got us in on your story. What are the challenges that lay ahead over the next few quarters for you as an entrepreneur? What are you going to be facing this year that's going to mean the success or failure of your first business? I think I have so much to do. And, you know, I do have a child, so I can't, she's 15 months old. I can't work 24 seven on this business. And I, and I, and, you know, I don't want to, so I have so much to accomplish and I have a limited time frame each day that I can dedicate to it. So I've got to be really focused and make it happen. I have to really teach myself marketing and get the word out about my products. And I have to figure out how to scale this from an operational side. I mean, we have big visions for the product. My mastermind gave me some really cool product ideas that I want to make sure are implemented and out for Christmas. There's a lot to figure out and I hope I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing is, since you're a listener of the podcast, is there anything you want to say to the listeners? This is the hardest question, but I always ask it just in case there's something that you'd want to share with like the people that listen to this show. Because I've been listening to it for so long, I, I would never think that like here I'd be you know sitting in a chair getting interviewed by you. So that's just super cool. The community is approachable and just a great network to be a part of. So don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be intimidated. I don't think Ian and I are particularly scary people. <laughs> like, Well, Ian, I don't know. <laughs> Ian's a little scary. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everybody's been, been very helpful and approachable and don't think you don't qualify, right? Just apply and, and become a part of it. Go to the conferences, put yourself out there. I think it'll pay back in spades. Where's the place that people could go to take a look at what you're doing or reach out to you? Oh, yeah. And the other advice I'd give to users is everybody needs a bow tie. So go to <laughs> www.mymai-tie.com. And we have limited edition bow ties, wedding bow ties, and many more products. Who are people that buy bow ties, Jen? Are they... Well, there's like my co-founder who he's kind of the face on social media. He's, you know, a early 30s hipster vintage Brooklyn type guy. So there's that, <laughs> right? There's that whole dynamic. People in the South wear bow ties. We have a wedding line. So bow ties for weddings, for the groomsmen, for destination weddings, and just people that, that are looking for something fun to differentiate themselves. I've had a couple of high school students buy them lately. You know, all sorts of people. Jen, this is awesome. Thanks again for coming by the TMBA podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
What a fantastic talk. Big thanks to Jen Anderson for sharing her story with us and further to all the members of the community and entrepreneurs in general who are taking some time to uh, help others along the path to pay it forward. Love bringing these stories onto the show. We'll have a few more in the weeks to come. If you want to share your thoughts on this one, we're going to be posting the show notes and everything mentioned over at tropicalmba.com. And we look forward to hearing big things from Jen in the future. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.